Strong Enough merch is now available. Go to strongenoughpod.com and check out all the stuff that you can get so that you'll have those daily reminders that you are strong enough and you are worth it. Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, where we talk about the challenges and celebrate the triumphs of people just like you. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to share about a toxic work environment that she experienced. She's going to give you some tips and tricks on what you can do if you're going through a challenging time at work. And then she's going to lighten the mood by telling us about a book she authored with some crazy dating stories. Please help me welcome Kathy Barra. Kathy, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am also well. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, it is snowing and a lot of people know that that is my happy place. Yes. Well, it's a good spring. It's good for the spring, you know, that we're getting a little more moisture. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I I try to look at it in that environmental way. I'm just here for the moisture and that that's all that matters to me, but I I do love the snow. Well, I would love it if you would take a minute and tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Well, I am, I live in Littleton, Colorado, and I have been back here about seven years. I was on the East coast in Washington, DC for about 20 years. I raised my son there. Uh, I was a single mom for a long time, but I worked in telecom. I worked in, um, I was, I worked for some philanthropists for about 10 years. They're very wealthy philanthropists and I'm actually still doing some consulting work for them now, but they, um, she became a U.S. ambassador. So I was very involved in the political part of things in DC. And then I went to the state department and I worked in the division of cybersecurity for a few years before I came back to Colorado to help my aging parents. And, uh, I've been here since 2014 back in the Denver Littleton area. So, I have a horse and I ride my horse all the time and um, but I have some stories for you. So um, I'm excited to uh, get into the nitty gritty of that. I am as well. And you hit a lot of cool things there. So I am from the East Coast and made my way here. I do love horses. I do not have my own, um, but I volunteer at the local horse center here. So I get to hang out with the horses and my, my favorite of the many horses. Oh yeah. I'm being honest. So you talked about a couple things there, a couple um, different jobs that you've had. And what we were discussing earlier is that when we think about relationships, sometimes we forget that our work life is a relationship of its own and a dynamic of its own. And I know that you have a pretty interesting story to tell about a not so great work environment. And that's what we're going to chat about today. Sounds good. Yes. And that happened literally when I came back to Colorado. So the employment that I had in Washington, DC, I never had anything like this happen. So uh, I don't know if you want me to start into the story now or do you want me to tell you now? Yeah, I would love to hear. Um, so tell us now, we're not going to say, you know, where this job is or, or what the industry was, because that wouldn't really be fair. Um, we never name our abusers yes. on this podcast. Um, but I would love to hear a little bit about what led you to this place and how it felt in the beginning. Well, it was interesting because I moved back here for a job, um, the first job I had. 
And again, I'm in my 50s. So, you know, we're dealing with Colorado and, you know, a lot of millennials. So it's a it's a really interesting dynamic between the younger and the older generations in the workplace because there's competition. That's it's it's very interesting. That's all I have to say. So the first position I had, she moved me out here and it was more of a similar position to the one I had in D.C. where I was what they call the family liaison. Let's just put it that way for some very wealthy people. And the first eight months was going fine. She walked into my office one day and said, this isn't working. So I, it was a shock. That was a, that was not the worst situation. So in between that time and finding another job, that's when I got the horse long story about that. But the job that I took eventually, um, came, you know, it was, I had to search. And again, I think I applied for 275 jobs in Colorado because, you know, as an older person, I'm competing with this younger generation and it's, it makes sense. They pay them less and I have been working for a long time. So I expect X, Y, Z, but it doesn't really happen in Denver. The cost of living is the same as DC, but the salaries are not. So um, anyway, I took this position and I was hired as one specific thing. And let's just say I'm a writer. I was at the division of cybersecurity and I was a writer and I'm a writer. That's what I do. So I was hired as a writer for this company. And within, I want to say the first month, they said, well, we have this woman in another department. She can't seem to keep up with what she's doing. She's younger. Can you just help her for a few weeks? And I said, you know, fine. You know, but not, that's the other issue with corporations today you are hired and then they're you're pretty much at their beck and call to whatever need they have it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stay where you are even though you've signed a contract and whatever so i went it was maybe a month into it i went over to help this young woman and coming from a very conservative environment in washington dc colorado has been a shocker i'm not gonna lie everywhere i go people say i still overdress but that's okay um but the environment at this place was all literally when i walked into this segment of the company was a lot of former military people and that is a different world altogether mm -hmm. um but this young woman would come in and she was just dressed in shabby clothing she took 11 cigarette breaks a day it was just no wonder she couldn't get the work done right so anyway i interjected myself and i was trying to help her but along the way the environment in this building and in this company was not only toxic it was completely inappropriate i mean the conversations the mannerisms the comments and I would look around and say, are we in the 2020s? I mean, are the two, where are, you know, this is just bizarre. And of course, everywhere you look, there's HR signs, you know, this, the harassment, sexual harassment, this. And I'm thinking, how is this even possible that these conversations are being had? I started documenting it because I thought, okay, this is insanity. I had, um, at one point, some of the men were speaking about, well, I'm talking about N-word, I'm talking about the P-word, I'm talking, I mean, it was just like, wh where am I? And um, I remember looking at the one gentleman when he had been saying the N-word, and I said, I was in my office, I said, could you please not use that term? I said, this is completely inappropriate. He says, well, I'll tell you how we'll deal with that. And he slammed my door shut of my office, and I thought, hmm. So again, I documented, documented for a year and it was the most stressful situation.
because I think a lot of people are in situations where they can't quit their job. They have mm-hmm. to tolerate it, right? They have to stay because they have a family or they have, you know, there's second income and it's just, it leaves you in a really desperate situation. So I was never in a situation like that in my life. And I didn't really know what to do because I had come from this very highly professional environment and I'm now in this, what the heck is going on, right? So again, I documented, I want to say for over a year. And uh, finally, uh, the woman that I was helping, and I never left that spot because she could never keep up. Let's just say that also. Mm -hmm. My life became her health, right? And that's not what I was hired for. It was just nothing I had ever had an interest in doing. So I, you know, many people will probably relate to this too, as we all know that HR is not there to protect the employee. They're there to protect the company. So I presented this information to HR after a year. Actually, I emailed them and I said, here's the deal. I want off. I want to be moved off this program. This is why. Here's the documentation. I put it in email so I could you know, have mm-hmm. record. And, uh, and then I went over to the HR department and they pretty much said, well, you know, we can't guarantee you if we move you into another program, it's not going to be the same environment because every company has a culture. And I said, so basically, if I'm talking about the N-word in front of you know, African-American clients and they want to do a billion dollar deal or whatever, that's okay. I mean, so I really, it was a struggle. It was like, mm-hmm. what are you saying to me? You know? And so basically my situation turned into, I mean, I was, I don't think I've ever been so stressed out in my life. I, I just couldn't believe it was actually occurring in this modern day. And this was literally right before the Me Too thing started coming out really big. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, so I ended up getting an attorney, you know, and going through that route because basically they were not going to move me anywhere. So, you know, again, I can't talk about the details mm-hmm. of any of that, but it's just so interesting to me that you have all this HR, all this protection you think you have in a company and in a big company, especially, and you don't, you really don't. And it's just based on what they decide is going to be their priority, right? They're going to protect the company more so than the employee. So that's, that's the, the story. And, you know, from that, I learned a lot, but I also, it was hard because I, it was hard for me to find that job in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, everything works out in the end. And that's how I transitioned to what I'm doing now. And it was also serendipitous because both of my parents were getting older and they started becoming ill. And so I was available to help them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, life always kind of works out, but I was also lucky that I was financially able to say, you know, kind of screw you. And I, and I really did um, because I couldn't stand it anymore. So you brought up so many good points and I want to hit on a few of them just to really reiterate for the audience. And the first one is going to be your comment about HR. I think that a lot of people do have that misconception that HR is going to be there to protect us, the employees. Right. And that is false. And I have had a very similar situation um, to you in that when I reported a situation to HR, I, you know, thought that they were going to have my back and protect me. And basically once they learned that everything I was telling them was true, I got shut out. Everything got 
covered up and, and it left me feeling really horrible, even worse, honestly, you know, than I had before. So I love that you said that you did end up getting an attorney and I am not an attorney, but I would advocate that anyone that has an issue, a serious issue, and they're going to talk to HR, get an attorney right? because nobody's looking out for you, even though HR will tell you that they are and make you think that they are. So I'm really glad that that you brought that up. How was it for you in that reporting process? What did it feel like when they're telling you, well, this is just the way it is and this is what you're going to have to deal with? Well, and that's what's sad because I did look up all of the HR documentation that they provide at orientation. And, you know, when you come into a company, these are their policies and standards and procedures. And this is what you do. And I had it in front of me and I highlighted, you know, what that they had violated. And um, that's when she got a little nervous. And so, you know, at, at a certain point they presented, you know, an option, shall we say. And I looked at them and I said, you know, I'm going to get an attorney. And that's when they really flipped because I think they knew that it was completely inappropriate what was going on and they were covering it up. And I, and honestly, after I left, I honestly think I should have filed an EEOC which I did. I was too stressed out. I just wanted to get the heck out of there. I didn't want it to prolong anymore. And um, I was mortified. I was just literally mortified about what was going on. And, um, you know, I didn't do that. But at the same time, I think I'm glad I did get out of there. But it was very fascinating to see that the policies they create, they don't even follow them. They don't eat, you know, that's what's so crazy. It's Mm -hmm. why do you provide these policies when if people violate them, you don't hold them accountable. So uh, again, I, you know, I'm glad I got out of there, but again, it was right before the Me Too thing. And I really wish I would have possibly done that, but I just didn't have the emotional energy for it. I just didn't. And again, it made me feel, you know, again, coming from a different work environment in DC, no granted, you know, I worked at the state department. There's a lot of people all over the, from all over, you know, foreign service, you know, joint staff sort of, you know, environment. And there's some crazy people, you know, they're, they've been all over the world and they, they're just fun, fun people, but never in a situation where I, it made me cringe every day to sit and listen to these guys talk. And I'm thinking, how is this even possible in this modern day that you don't think that's inappropriate, you know? Um, So again, I, I don't even know how, but what I was going to say is I think that I realized there were not, I was not alone. I wasn't the first person that did this because the way they reacted to my threat of an attorney, I knew immediately that this had been a situation that other people and other women had, you know, brought up in the past. So how disheartening was that to learn that there clearly had been previous complaints and yet the issue was still there and still so bad that it was forcing you to come in and complain? Right. Well, I think it depends on where you are in the company and how long you've been there. And I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that, you know, not too many people stay at jobs 20, 30 years anymore. I mean, I have some friends who did stay in their careers for the the same place, but that's very rare anymore. So, you know, you're a dime a dozen. And I, that's, I think everyone can agree with that. Corporations just look at you as a number. And in fact, you know, you think about the fact that they changed the term of using employees to you know human capital it's like you're just a you're just a thing right you're just mm-hmm. a part of this cog or your cog in the 
in the uh, chain. And, um, but you know, it's just, it's very sad because I think you have some control over it, but at the same time, it's basically you against the company and, you know, they have the power and it's your career too. So uh, the other question I always had after I left that, that place was if I went somewhere else and needed, for example, a reference or confirmation of employment, like what would they say? What was legally, what were they allowed to divulge? And I don't think they were, but it did that tarnish my great, career record of having Mm -hmm. you know this wonderful work you know for 30 you know 35 40 years or 35 years and uh, I don't I still don't know to to this day but that's another concern you know you worry about that tarnishing your employment record right because the the legal answer would be that they're not allowed to say anything negative other than you know, the dates that you worked there and would they or would they not rehire you? However, you know, if you're dealing with people who are acting the way that they acted, are they even going to follow the legal uh, situation in, you know, not talking about you as a previous employee? I had the same situation and I ended up taking it off of my resume But then that leads to a whole other concern because now I have this lengthy gap and I ended up uh, with my current employer actually just saying, you know what, I'm going to tell you this story. And if it makes me not the right person for this job, then that's okay. Um, But I want you to know why I feel the way I feel about integrity and ethics and morality in the workplace. So. You still struggle, though, with that feeling of that they have this little piece of control that they could utilize over you and speak negatively about you. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, to your point at this company, they were asking me to sign off on documentation that there's no way I would I would do it because it wasn't government, you know, approved Mm or going by the book. And so to to know that they were doing that and then chastising me for not following so that to me again it's it's all a lot of it's about money and greed and you know whatever they're making for the company but at the same time it is it's it's i think it's mortifying and i wonder you know i do wonder if it happens more to women i have a feeling it does because i can't imagine a man i i don't know maybe they do but um you know, it's just amazing to me that they were trying to create this environment that just was so crazy. And at one point they actually moved people out of offices that were seated near my office because they were investigating, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, it just made me, you know, sitting alone in this huge space then by myself. So it's like the game they play. Right. And so again, I removed myself from corporate America at that point and I've been pretty lucky since just to be able to do other little gig jobs and things. Mm-hmm. And again, my parents became ill. So I spent three or four years really focusing on their health and helping them. And they've now both passed, but I was, I feel fortunate that I was there for that. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, it was after this whole disaster of uh, a job. And, um, and again, I feel sorry for people who deal with this because, you know, I know I'm pretty tough 
and working on the East Coast, you have to be a little tougher. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You just have to be, it's very, very much more fast paced. Let's just put it that way. And um, I just feel for people that have gone through this because I know I literally felt like I was going to have a nervous breakdown because I thought I can't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to process this is okay. You know, going into work and like you said at the beginning, this is like a, it's a relationship that is you have to endure for eight hours a day, Mm -hmm. you know, of multiple people, multiple dynamics and multiple personalities and just the, the connections and the, you know, interactions. And, uh, yeah, that, that made it, it was just miserable. It was miserable, but I'm so happy that I'm not in there anymore, but I'm also happy that you're not in there. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, but I want to hear a little bit about how this was affecting you outside of work, going through this every single day, like you said, for, you know, eight plus hours a day. What did that do to you? Even when you left that place? Oh my gosh. I couldn't sleep at night. You know, that's, that was my, um, I think I probably drank a little more wine than usual, uh, just because I couldn't sleep, you know, I couldn't Mm -hmm. sleep thinking about, Oh my God, I have to go in there in the morning. I, you know, just facing these people. And then of course, after I had started complaining a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, then it almost got to a point too, where, you know, the manipulation started of they would do I remember doing a review and this person gave me this horrible review, even though I had been helping this woman Mm -hmm. accelerate all this work that had been, you know, put on hold for so long. And I'm thinking, and I fought him on it. I said, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about right here? Well, this hat. And I said, no. So it's just that whole, that whole dynamic too, of that lying, manipulating, mm-hmm. making you look bad. Um, so yeah, I didn't sleep. I, um, I was just miserable. You know, I just didn't feel good. And um, I think probably more than anything, I just felt depressed. You know, I, I, I mean, I have my horse and all that and I have you know lots of extracurricular, but um, the fact that, again, you have to go back into that relationship every day, mm-hmm. that is so negative and toxic. And um, it's like, you have to force yourself to get in there. Right. And then you get in there and you just kind of, you know, hold your breath to make sure, you know, or impending in, in doom, you know, is, is, is mm-hmm. the day, the cause of the day. Right. So Um, Yeah, I didn't feel great at all. And I'm afterward, after I left, um, you know, I I was okay for several months after that, because they, you know, I had, I worked things out. But Mm -hmm. um, again, it made me feel just so depleted, because I had had this, I've worked since I was 13 years old. And I'm 58. And I'm like, I have never in my life, had anything like this happen because I'm a hardworking ethical person mm-hmm. and to have that just thrown into the, you know, the mix was uh, more, it was mortifying. It was really mortifying. But again, I transitioned out of it and um, you know, I'm so glad I did because mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Again, a lot of people aren't able to do it. So they just have to stick it out until they look for something else and hopefully find something else. So I have to take a moment to say that I cannot believe that you are 58 years old. Oh, Um, you look amazing. And I am (laughs) going to say somehow I have a knack for finding people who look much, much younger than they actually are. Oh, that's on this podcast. I guess that's, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. That's a great thing, especially (laughs) considering all the stress that you've been through. Yeah. 
you mentioned some of the issues that you had that that to me sounded very much like retaliation, which again is legally not supposed to happen, but also again something that I experienced as well. Um, my equipment started disappearing when I would show up, and yeah, it it was it was really bizarre, but. You can't really report that because you're just reporting it back to the people who are orchestrating what is happening to you. So did that make you feel even more helpless? Yes, especially there was a new person that had started. And at first, this person was very supportive. And then as soon as I started, um, you know, I don't know if I was complaining or just mentioning things, Mm -hmm. especially with the language that was being, you know, spouted in the office Uh, because it was a professional environment. We had clients coming in and out all the time. Um, Yeah. I just absolutely thought that the retaliate, the the retaliatory part of it was even more degrading Mm -hmm. because you're right. You can't complain because it comes right back to these people. Right. But I remember sitting in this, meeting and them telling me you know this you did this wrong this wrong I'm like what I saw so it's it's so hard and I think that's the other issue you know the HR part of it what do you do Mm -hmm. other than start looking for another job right Right. and and then in in certain fields you have this group of humans that is all in the same field right Mm -hmm. so you can't necessarily go look for another job in that field because they'll know that they're going to tell you know what I'm saying right so it's it's like a crapshoot and it's catch 22, but I think, um, you know, I just don't, I don't know how I made it through that. And I just remember the day I left and I just, I was sick to my stomach. I just going in for that last day, that last conversation, that last sign off or whatever. Um, and I thought this is really a sad statement on the current employment, you know, situation in this country when these big companies can just treat people like this. And uh, again, I should have filed something more. I just did not have the emotional energy to do it. I can completely relate to that because I, so I did, um, my situation was criminal um, in nature as well. Wow. So, so I did, you know, go to the authorities. However, because of political uh, situations and people that were involved, they did not want to take it any further. So the way I looked at it was I did all I could do. But again, I can totally relate to what you're saying that you just didn't have the energy to go to EEOC and file that complaint and and kind of, I don't want to say drag it on even more, but then it's still just a part of your life for even longer. Exactly. Very good point. Very good point. Because I think that's exactly how I felt. You know, once I got the attorney, and, um, I mean, I drafted the whole letter because mm-hmm. I just put all the details. He looked at it, reviewed it, made a couple changes because I used to work in legal years and years ago. So you know, I know how to draft a legal letter, but you know, it was this, 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 and, uh, you know, you present it, but then you're exactly right. There's just no way I want, cause it would have dragged on. Right? right. And then they would have, you know, you know, had to in- interview me and I just, I couldn't face these people anymore. I just couldn't even be in their presence. You know what I'm saying? I absolutely know what you're saying. And I want other people to hear that too, that, you know, it's okay to just walk away sometimes that for your own peace and for your mental health and your wellness, sometimes you just have to close that door and 
and be done with it. Right, right. And that's what's sad too. I think, as I've said, you know, I know several people who've had jobs and they've kept the same job for 30 years mm-hmm. and just moved around the company and the company has reorged and they're in a different spot and everything. But I think that's very rare nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I think the one good thing about the younger generation is they don't put up with, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if we, as a, as my agent, I don't know. I, I've never quit a job. You know what I'm just saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, I just don't have that in me. That's not part of my work ethic. But I think now they're just like, oh, hell no, you're not going to treat me like that, you know, and which is a good thing. But at the same time, then, you know, they have to make sure they have another job. But, um, yeah, it's a whole different work world now, I think. Um, But I think that this whole situation for me was an eye opener. Again, as we've spoken to on many times here is the HR facet of it that, Mm -hmm. you know, people need to know. And I've told my son this. He's in New York City and he had some a situation at one point and I said, just remember, always remember HR is not there to protect you. <laughs> HR is there to protect the company. So don't do this, 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 or this, you know? Um, so just, you know, keep track of everything, but just make sure that you know that in, in, it's a very true fact that they do not, they do not want to protect the employee. I mean, to a, a certain extent, yes, but they're there to save money and they're there mm-hmm. to protect the, you know, the company in the, in the long run legally. and every other way. So, right. And for me, that was very disheartening, I guess. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people who thinks the world is perfect and everything is fair. You know, I understand that that's not the case, but it really hurt me. I think when I went through that and saw that, wow, they're just, they're just going to kick me to the curb and let this stuff happen because it's, you know, financially better for them. Uh, it looks better for them in the, you know, in the media and things like that. So I was sad. Did you feel that way too? I did. I felt depressed. Like I said, I felt sad and depressed because again, I have a very strong work ethic Mm -hmm. and, you know, I just was dumbfounded by how they were treating not only me, but just allowing for the environment to exist again with all this oh, we're going to have HR meetings. We're going to have a sexual harassment meeting. We're going to, you know, and then they would come in and draw, you know, male parts on the chalkboard before the meeting started. And I'm like, where are, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just the way it is. And I'm so glad I'm out of there. But again, it's, um, I don't really understand HR now after this experience. I I just have never had to deal with it like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I really see the light. And if I ever happen to go back into the corporate world, which I do not want to do, nor do I even have any inkling to do, um, I will be very aware of that, that whole part of it. I know. I feel like right now we should have scrolling on the screen. HR is not your friend and just <laughs> HR sucks. have that. No, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, and it's sad because you think about people who, and again, this happens to, I think a lot of older people in my age range, because, you know, we're at, we are requiring these large salaries. So they'll also find any way possible. So mm-hmm. like I was replaced by three millennials, you know, I mean, I'm nothing against mm-hmm. millennials. My son's a millennial, but because I've worked for so long, my salary mm-hmm. expectation is X, Y, Z. Right. And there's, you know, we can hire three people to replace you and we'll get, will you get more work done? Do they have the experience? I don't know, but they'll at least have more bodies. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's another part of 
that whole thing. But yeah, and a lot of the people were much younger than me, but some of them were in my age range. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing behaving like this in, in a work environment? And, right. but you know, I think it's, it's not uncommon. I think it's, 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 it's common, more common than not in a lot of places. I do want to point out that it shows what a badass you are, that it took three <laughs> people to replace you. Well, I don't, uh, you know, again, because, <laughs> well, because, you know, salary wise, if you think about mm-hmm. it, I remember getting on LinkedIn at one point and there was a man, I was in an email chain and this man was saying, you know, he's my age and he spent 10 hours talking to an HR person who's 24. Okay. And then they flew him to Chicago. He had an interview for 10 hours that day with six people. He got back to where he was from. And this 24 year old young woman said, you did a super job. And he said, what? She said, you did a super job, but we need five top candidates and you're the third top candidate. So we need two more top, you know, top candidates before we'll make it. So I knew that whole, that whole thing was, you know, this delayed, oh my God, how much time do we have to spend to get a job now? But then this younger person piped in and said, you know, if you guys would just all retire, we wouldn't have this competition between the younger generation and the older. And I said, honey, if we could retire, if we could get, like, I think when my parents were young, I think it was 50 years old, you could get your social security or whatever. And of course people are living longer now. Mm -hmm. So we, we work longer and whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, and this man just said, if we could retire, we would, you know, you don't understand that we don't get that social security till we're 62 or 67. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot, it's life is more expensive now. So a lot of people cannot afford to not work. Right. So there's that whole, you know, conflict between let us have the jobs and then, well, we need to keep our job, but at the same time, you know, our salaries are, mm-hmm. if you've been in the, you know, workforce for a long time, it's just expected. And I think now young people make pretty darn good money right out of school or, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there's always, there's always that conflict, you know, but I don't really feel like a badass, but I just feel like I'm, I'm glad I could you know, put my foot down. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I think that, I don't know about you, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to do that because I didn't feel like it was right mm-hmm. that I had to make that decision. Right. But I, did. but I did because I couldn't, I was like getting an ulcer, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, it's just a sad state of affairs. But again, um, you know, at some point they'll they'll get busted or not, right? Depending on how the the you know the dominoes whatever tilt over, you know. But um, I like to believe in karma. That's that's true. I'm holding out hope that karma yeah. will do its thing. So. You said you were taking notes and you were documenting for probably over a year. What was it for you the day that you said enough is enough? What was the tipping point or what made that day that day for you? Uh, Well, the woman that I had gone over to help, Mm -hmm. she had a lot of animosity toward me from the beginning because she felt threatened I believe although I had no desire to even be in that Mm -hmm. area I was supposed to be over here and they put me over here so we had lots of projects and it's just a typical basic thing where you have a group working on a project and you copy everybody on the details Mm -hmm. of the stats and all everything that's going on so everyone's 
in the loop sort of look at i'm already i'm using corporate terminology just talking <laughs> that's really scary um when i was at the state department they all used acronyms for everything and you had to learn a whole new oh language. it's the worst but, um, yes but the, the day that i just decided that was it was this woman uh we had this project going on and she had been sending emails that i was unaware of regarding process and status and so i was completely out of the loop and I found out because someone you know, had asked me about the email, and I mm-hmm. said, what email? So she was walking by my office and I had said, hey, what about this? Why did I not get copied? And she yelled at me. She came in and she started screaming at me. And I was just looking at her. I was like, all I can remember is I thought she looks like the exorcist. I mean, she was like, you know, <laughs> spitting, like she was so mad. I was like, this is the most toxic environment I have ever been in in my life. And I literally just sat there. I started kind of getting sick. You know, you just kind of feel like you have no idea what to do because this person's completely out of control. Mm-hmm. And I think she was also heavy. Like she would go out and party every night and come in. Like in, she looked like she went out and partied every night. Anyway, younger, whatever. But, um, and at that moment when she, she screamed at me and it left my office I literally turned to my computer and I was just like, I'm fine. And so that was it. And then, you know, the whole process with HR started because I went off this program. I, I, you know, copied the top people that I was working with. I said, I'm done, not tolerating this anymore. Here's my documentation. And this just happened and I'm done, you know, and that was like the the straw that broke the camel's back. So let's talk about what you're doing now. Where, where did this take you? Well, you know, after that, like I said, my parents were ill. And so I, my father uh, got cancer and uh, my parents were married for 50 years and they got divorced. So he, they had been divorced 10 years and my father got sick and then he passed away. And then as soon as he got passed away, my mother started getting sick. So the first two or three years, I was really kind of focused on that. But in the meantime, I've always wanted to write books, you know, mm-hmm. so I thought, huh, so I just decided to put together my first collection, it was a collection of poetry that I've written since I was about in sixth grade, uh, I've always written lyrical poetry, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to put together a book, so I did it, and I found a self-publishing consultant, so, so mm-hmm. to speak, she helped me through that process, and I did it not to make money, or, you know, I just did that to, because I really wanted to share it, so I did mm-hmm. that, and it was, it went well, and uh, then over the course of the next year or so, um, you know, I was helping my mom and she passed away during COVID. And then, of course, you know, COVID hit. And so mm-hmm. the sad part about that was my mother had a stroke right before COVID hit in February oh of 2020. And so we did not get to see our mom the last six months of her life in person. We could see her behind a window, but we couldn't go in and hold her hand or, you know, so that was tragic. Mm-hmm. But um, so during COVID, um, also as a single mom, I had for years tried online dating. So this is kind of a, you know, segue, but mm-hmm. um, so during COVID, my friend in LA kept saying, Kathy, you have got to write these stories down or you're going to forget them. And they're hilarious. And I said, I don't want to remember these stories. They're mortifying. <laughs> they're ridiculous. You know? And I think so many people can relate to that. You mm-hmm. know? So I decided to put together a, a book about all my funny online dating experiences. And it's not just mine, it's other people's. But um, so I did that during COVID and I published it in January of this year Mm -hmm. and it's doing, it's considering it's self-published. I mean, I, I've been on the radio like twice in Denver and a bunch of podcasts and 
And the most bizarre thing about it is, um, and the book is called These Stories Are True, I Shit You Not. So I'll tell you about that in a minute. But um, I went, my friend, after I published it, said, have you heard of TikTok and BookTok? And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, you know, TikTok, because it was mm-hmm. very popular during COVID. She said, well, there's a platform or a part of TikTok, which is called BookTok. And it's for writers, uh, people who want to review, recommend, publish, you know, all sorts of book related stuff that you can get on there, like as a passive marketing platform. So I thought, oh, what the heck, you know, so I get on there and it's like, you, know, you have to create these little goofy videos and you put text over it, you sing a song or you do a little, <laughs> you know, and I've done great. But here's the weird thing. One of the chapters in my book is about online dating scammers because I had that someone try to scam me and I caught it really easily. Mm-hmm. But I did a seven second video about that chapter where I just said, when a guy on a dating app says he's a U.S. soldier stationed in Afghanistan and he just finished training, but he's going to take a nice hot bath, which, of course, we know does not happen. Right. And I put that on. And I swear, as of today, it has five hundred and eighty five thousand views so it, i hit a nerve right so mm-hmm. but the online dating part of it it's like it's all my stories it's just resonating with people because oh let me tell you my you know so mm-hmm. i could do a sequel based on everybody else's story so that you know my life has transitioned into that because i'm fortunate enough to be able to do that i still do work as a consultant for the people in washington dc that wasn't always the case it just kind of came back up about a year and a half ago during covid because mm-hmm. everyone's remote so i can work for them in colorado and they're on you know. so but other than that i just feel very fortunate that i found someone to help me write the book not write the books but you know self publish them on mm-hmm. amazon and uh, so that's been a lot of fun and of course i have my horse so you know i do that too but I love it. And I also have some people that I can send you for some stories for the next book. Okay. So I swear. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's, it's, you know, you think I thought my stories were bad. Then I'm like, oh my God, you know, people tell me their stories on, and I'm like, oh my Lord in heaven. You know, I thought mine were bad, but so, but it's all fun. And it's just, you know, it resonates with so many people because we've all been through it, you know, and it's just modern day, the way modern dating happens, you know. It's just part of it. And I love that you kind of took a lighthearted approach to it because a lot of the things with online dating and catfishing and people trying to extort you or get money from you, you know, it can be really rough. So I love that you put a more lighthearted spin on it as well. Well, that chapter in particular, you know, that was, I was so angry when that happened to me. I mean, and I didn't get that far, but based on the comments on my TikTok, mm-hmm. you know, I have 585,000 views. I want to say I have 5,000 comments, um, 12,000 wow. likes or whatever, but the comments, oh yeah, this guy, you know, it's so it is funny in a way because people say, oh yeah, Jason Momoa just texted me last night. And so did John Statham. <laughs> and so did Donnie Osmond. And you know, I was like, what? But then there are comments that people say, my sister-in-law sent $40,000 to a guy she never met. This lady sent 90,000. I'm like, again, we're speaking of relationships. Mm-hmm that's almost like a pivot of a conversation that this has created because it taught, in my opinion, it really tells us the state of loneliness and the, Mm -hmm. and the depths of loneliness that some people can feel that they feel that never meeting a person, never seeing their face, maybe talking on a phone with them, you know, occasionally, but that, that, that desperation of thinking that that is okay is so sad to me. 
And again, my book was lighthearted, but this is almost transition mm -hmm. to, wow, what's going on? And these guys prey on it. You know, they prey mm -hmm. on, and again, so I'm late fifties. And then, so I, I look at people that are in the you sixties know, and seventies who are either widowed or mm -hmm. have a lot of money, these women, right. That that's who they prey on like older people or, you know, not necessarily there's a 45 year old lady who gave money to a guy, you know, and never met him, never, mm -hmm. never seen their face, nothing. So, you know, speaking of relationships, that to me is so fascinating. What, what creates the need to do that? You know, what, what do you mm -hmm. think that's, why does, what does that feel for you that you're giving away all your right. money to the unknown? Right. So that's another episode. I know. I would love to hear, normally I ask for relationship advice and I am going to ask you for your best piece of relationship advice, but I would love to hear it in the context of work relationships. Oh, I think that from my past experience that, you know, I don't necessarily always have a close relationship with people at work. You know, we go in, we do, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. The best experience I ever had was at the State Department. I became very close to all those people that I worked with. I'm not really sure why, but it, in, in retrospect, I think that in DC, everyone is highly educated and it's ridiculous. I mean, some mm. people have three master's degrees and this, you know, I mean, it's like, why? I mean, <laughs> but it's just the way that environment is. It's very status driven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did this. Who do you know? Who do you work for? What do you know? That kind of thing. But when I moved to Colorado, I find that the relationships I had at work, women felt like more competition. Like right. you, you're not, you're, you're not at the same level, maybe educationally, or you haven't had the experiences here and there. So my only advice would be just to, you know, look at people and, and appreciate where they are in their life, you know, and, and this is where they are. I mean, I honestly worked at Home Depot for a couple months when my mom was sick because I had to do something, but I didn't mm -hmm. want to sit home while she was in the hospital. I was a cashier at, you know, and who, who cares? But I think just respect everybody in the workplace. And that's what I learned from this last place because there was a very high lack of, you know, respect for any sort of uh, decorum or you know, positivity. It was just very toxic. So, but, you know, relation, I mean, I have great friends that I've met at work and it's hard to balance that sometimes mm -hmm. because you are, you know, it's like you're there all day with the person and then you, you know, socialize with them. But advice wise, I would just say respect people and understand where they're coming from at that moment in time, not necessarily where they've been or where they're going, but just like right at that moment. So. I love that. And I would love to add, because you've mentioned it a couple times, kind of with the competition and particularly with women. And you know what? It's time for us to stop. Oh, it like, is. Ladies, I'm talking to you. Instead of stabbing each other in the back, let's straighten each other's crowns. There's enough of everything for all of us. So let's That's help each other point. out. Let's help each other out. Yep. Good we, point. Thank you. <laughs> we are going to take a little turn here before I let you go. Okay. So I have a lot of tattoos. I know you can't see them right now because I have on this oddly colored shirt that kind of matches my skin. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> now, I know you don't have any tattoos, though. No, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. So, yeah. so see, I like it. Um, so what I'm going to ask you is, let's say that tomorrow... You are going to get a tattoo. It's not going to hurt. 
It's going to be paid for. You can snap your fingers and make it disappear whenever you want and bring it back. So with all these rules and regs, what are you going to get? Well, you know, I almost got one one time. I dared my son to go skydiving with me and I would get a tattoo, but he chickened out. But I, I, so I didn't get the tattoo, but my middle name is Rose and a man that I was going to marry passed away from cancer and he had a rose tattooed on his forearm on his, you know, the inner part of his forearm. So I would either do a rose on my forearm or a lotus on my back. I have these things in my head. I just haven't done that. Okay. Well, I like it. I like that you have some, some plans and ideas. I do have some good artists that I can recommend. Okay. I know where you are. (laughs) So when you're ready, uh, we can definitely make that happen. Sounds good. Where can people find you, Kathy? So if they want to grab the books, if they want to talk to you about your cashiering days at Home Depot, (laughs) or if they want to take you up on going skydiving for a tattoo, where can people find you? Okay. Well, my website is katherinebarra.com. So that's Catherine with a C and my last name is Barra, B-E-R-R-A. And I'm also on TikTok under Catherine R. Author. And uh, my email is sassypantspress at comcast.net. That's my horse's nickname. So if anybody wants to get a hold of me, and again, my book's called These Stories Are True, I Shit You Not. And it's a, a humorous look at online dating for the unsuspecting older human. So that's a long title, but that's what that is. But I'd love to hear from people, just even if stories, if they have more stories, you know, to share. It's just fascinating to me how. How many of us have been through that of all ages, you know, not just, I mean, everybody in this day and age is on an online dating app of some sort or the other. And I think it's gotten crazier, but I agree. I'm not on an online dating app that would probably upset my husband. So (laughs) I am steering clear, but People are going to start sending you stories. I hope so. Kathy, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing not only about your really toxic work experience, but also how you have turned around and just done something completely different with your life and shown us how truly happy that you are after going through something so difficult. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media so you'll never miss what's going on. Remember, until next week, you are strong enough, you are worth it. Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Enough Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.